Hello, everyone. This is a crazy story, crazy story. And there is so much going on here that it's like, I don't, I don't know where to start. So many, so many fascinating things in this parak. Okay, so we are at uh, chapter 28, the uh, story of the of Shaul and the Balat Ov, and we'll get right into it. Um, shalom l'kulam, hi, hi, hi. Uh, it's just, it's just like, whoa. Like, it's really amazing. Alrighty then, so as usual, we start with this edition. Um, there are 24 psukim here. This is a mid-sized parak, and it is framed by a couple of psukim, which talk about David, and sort of, actually, the first two psukim sort of belong in chapter 27, because they're talking about um, David and the whole story with him with Achish, and the rest of the parak is really the story of Shaul and Balat Ov. I divided it into a few sections. First, the um, Shaul who is in trouble, and then his decision to go to the Balat Ov, and then um, what happens there and the aftermath. It's all really fascinating stuff. Really fascinating stuff. Okay, so first of all, let's look at the beginning of the Perek, the first Sukkim, which are kind of um, a continuation of Chavzayin and an introduction to Chavtet. And we just, we're going to pause the David story for the Shaul story, but here we go. The beginning, the first Sukkim we're talking about, if you recall, in chapter 27, we had this whole story about how David in, in basically with no choice in the matter, leaves the Jewish area and goes to live among the, Phil the Philistines, the Plishtim. And he ingratiates himself with the king, with Achish, even though the first, the first encounter with Achish was not so promising back when he had to make himself crazy. But here, uh, he comes with 600 men and Achish sets him up in Tiklag and he has like a whole community going on there. And while he's raiding enemies of of uh, of the Jews, he tells Achish that he's raiding Jewish places and um, he gets the trust. The, actually, the last Pasuk in the Chavzayin is by Ya'amein Achish B'David Lemor. Achish believed in David, saying, He's fed up the, his nation. He finds them, they stink to him. And he will be my servant forever. Okay, so then we go on, Pasuk Aleph. Um, I think someone's not muted. I'm hearing some noises, so please make sure you're muted. Pasuk Aleph. And it was in those days, the Plishtim gathered their camps to war, to fight Israel. And Achish said to David, which 
you know, they always translate the double verbs as surely. Literally, it means knowing you will know, and it's em em emphasized that you're going out to war with me and my men. Okay, so this is kind of the development that was sort of inevitable when David pledges his allegiance, so to speak, to the Philistines. It's kind of inevitable that he's going to find himself faced with the possibility of fighting his own people, which, of course, he doesn't want to do. So this is like the next round of fighting. And Ahir says, you know, David, you're going to be with me to fight. And David answers Pasuk You know what your servant's going to do, which is a really, uh, shall we say, very kind of uh, cloudy answer. What would be the correct word? Um, ambiguous. You know what I'm going to do. You're going to be my bodyguard forever. So just to take a minute to discuss this whole thing, like now David is, going, is put to the test and it's going to be crystallized in the next parak in chapter 29. What is he supposed to do here? He obviously doesn't want to fight the Jews and Achish seems to be convinced that he's on their side. Um, the question is, does he say you're going to be with me because he trusts David? Or because he doesn't trust David. So the Malbim bats us around a little bit and says, um, really, perhaps, perhaps he doesn't, uh, perhaps he was afraid that he wouldn't want to fight the Jews, even though he's an enemy now of Shaul, that doesn't mean he wants to fight the Jews. Or perhaps he was afraid that the other Philistines won't trust him, which has happened that the previous time when David went to Achish, they said, well, we don't want this guy here. He killed our brother. So um, so it sounds like Achish, it's one one way of reading this story is sounds like Achish is saying, you know, you'll have to stay with me because I'm gonna I trust you and that'll be the best thing. And Dub is like, you know, well, you know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be your hero. And he says, Yeah, you're gonna be my bodyguard, you just stick with me. So Dub is gonna be in this bite. But we're gonna leave this story on the side. And we're going to go to Shaul, Pasuk Gimel. Ushmuel mate. Now, uh, one aspect of Hebrew, um, biblical Hebrew, is that when we use a simple past, it's what we call in English a past perfect. If you recall, in the chapter with Abigail, chapter 25, that's when Shmuel died, right? There it says, Vayamat Shmuel. All right, um, I could show you the beginning of Hafei by Yamat Shmuel. Now, when you see the, the biblical past here with the Vav Amapek with the conversive Vav and the future form, Shmuel died, that's simple past in the Tanakh. So Shmuel died, and all of Israel gathered and they mourned him and they buried him. And David got up and left. Okay, now we're going to go back to. Chavchet, Shmuel mate, means Shmuel had died. So the information we're getting in Pasuk Gimel is information that we're going to need for the rest of the story. The fact that Shmuel died is of great significance here, as we'll see. 
And we get a little bit of a recap. Which is a strange phrase. They mourned him, all of Israel mourned him, and they buried him in Ramah and in his city, which is kind of odd because you can only get basically buried in one place unless we're going to get gruesome, which we're not. Which, if you call, that's what happened to Yiftah. But here the Bepharshim say that there was as much mourning for Shmuel in his own hometown as everyone mourned him in their own cities, which is giving you a sense of the tremendous uh, sense of loss that the Jewish people felt when Shmuel died. It was a tremendous loss for Kleisel, and everybody mourned him. Meantime, the second half of the Pasuk is another bit of introduction to our story. And Shaul had removed the uh, Ovot and the Yidonim from the land. We're going to talk about what these things are. But um, just briefly here. Okay. Isha Isha, this is in Vayikra. Uh, uh, and here, um, you know, the the English translation doesn't do any better than me. It just says an oval yidoni. So what are these things? So there's a lot of things that are brought in this parak, um, in Vayikra and in other places. Go back to Pasukavav here. Um... A person who goes stray, astray after the Ovot and the Yedomim, to go uh, astray after them, I will put my face against this person, I will cut him off from his people. So this is a whole um, discussion, Perkhaf in Vayikra. What is an O and what is a Yedoni? Okay. Um, uh, I want to go a few psukim ahead and then we can come back and, and discuss it. But they are basically different forms of sorcery. And in the case of this story, it's specifically um, uh, Balat Ov is a necromancer. A person, and you have other expressions there with Shoel, Elamitim, a person who, who asks the dead. And um, the Torah gives many, many different names for these kind of, you know, black arts, you know, the dark arts <laughs> for the Harry Potter fans. Okay. There are a number of different types. We don't know exactly what's what. It seems to have been a primarily a thing that women did because it says that ancient Balat O, it was typical typically a woman. But the Pusik is telling us two important pieces of information. One is that Shmuel has died. So that means anyone who wants to talk to Shmuel, he is inaccessible. He is gone, right? And um, the next thing is that Shoal had removed a lot of these, you know, sorcerers from the land. They're not allowed. So Two things are operating at once. 
Okay, let's go back to the action. Pasuk Dalit. Vayikbitzu haplishtit, vayavohu vayachanu b'shuna. Vayikbot shalit kol yisrael vayachanu b'gilboa. Okay, so I needed to get you a new map for this. Um, okay. Now we are talking about the Galil. And it's it's actually, the truth is, it's a very, very strange story because the Plishtim, we've spoken about it many times before. The Plishtim are here. The Plishtim are on the coast, right? Ashdod, Ashkelon, Azaim, Makshimon, Gath, and Ekron, right? Those are the cities on the border on the western coast. And now we're talking a battle, about a battle that takes place all the way up north in the Galil. And here on this map, you see we're Endor and Shunam. Shunam is where the Plishtim camp, and Endor is where the Balat Og comes from. And you see that this is the tribe of Yisachar. We're like way out of Plishtim territory. How does that even happen? And that's a very big question. So in this map, you see the red line is the Plishtim. They go up to Shunam. And the black line is the Jews. Shaul brings up his army to, um, it's, it's not written there, but it's Har Geboa, but I said, okay, I have to find you a picture of Har Geboa. And found you a nice picture. There you go. Absolutely gorgeous up there. Har Geboa. See, this is the mountain and it oversees the Jezreel Valley. It's extremely scenic. And um, they have named, according to this, is like a little bit of a tourism thing that I found, that they named mountains over there. There's like a harsh Shaul. And um, this is where this battle takes place, this beautiful spot. Um, okay. So the Plishtim go up there. Now, the question is, what are they doing all the way in the north there? It's very, very strange. And um, I looked into the Dat Mikra because Dat Mikra discusses the geographical aspects of it. The, the Farshim don't seem to go there. Like, why are the Plishtim uh, fighting up there? So Dat Mikra says they have two theories. Number one, perhaps they actually want to uh, come down and conquer this area from the north, surprise them. And the other is that they want to have open two fronts and attack from the west and from the north. And uh, we know that a two-front war is not a good thing. So this is, this is a very ominous development in the time of Shaul. And there's a number of things that we can go back with. In other words, one of the things that might have pushed the Plishtim to attack is the death of Shmuel. They had this great leader, and he was such a tremendous prophet, and he was a very godly person. So perhaps that kind of pushed them. But the truth is, you know, the Plishtim don't need a lot of excuses to attack. And they have their successors who similarly. Pardon my uh, political commentary. But this is what happens. Every couple of chapters is a fight with the Plishtim. This is the Hundred Years' War that went on this time until David. Uh, put a stop to it. Pasuke. Bayar Shaul at Machane Plishtim. Bayira Bayacharadli Bomao. And Shaul saw Pasuke, the camp of the Plishtim, and he was very scared. He was scared, and his heart trembled very much. 
So the Mitsuda says, because there were a lot of them. But the Malbim says, I'm sorry. I, I guess what the Malbim would, we would say in English, is so hear the premonition. There was something about this push the army that gave him a really, really bad feeling. Like, what's, what's going to happen here? And Shaul doesn't know what to do. And he went to ask God. Hashem doesn't answer him. Gamba Halamot, Gamba Uim, Gamba Nabiim. Now we've listed here three ways that Shaul might have had uh, an answer from God, so to speak. And one of them is a dream. Sometimes he had uh, a dream or there's a sort of Ruach HaKodesh, a sort of um, connection, right? And the other is the Urim. Now the Urim is the, the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol. Now, where is the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol? Like, Shiloh doesn't exist anymore. If you recall, back in chapter 22, when he killed the Kohen in no, Eviatar was the last survivor, and he ran off to David, taking with him the Aphod and the Hoshev. So the Mephoshim say, how could he have asked the Urim if it's by David? And the, the simple answer to that is, anybody could send the message, a message to the Kohen and say, please ask this for me. So he could have done this by way of a messenger. But the truth is, why won't the Urim answer him, right? Rashi says very simply, and this is, seems to be consensus, right? if you kill the Kohenim, then it's not going to help you. We have a principle of that the prosecution is not going to become the defense. Anything related to Kohanim is a prosecution for Shaul because of what he did in Nob. So that's not going to help him. And Gamben Nevi'im, I mean, Shmuel is his Navi and Shmuel's gone. So what is he supposed to do now? He has uh, has no answer. Okay, and here is the strange keta, right? He says, I want about a woman, a balat ov, right? And um, I will go to her and I will ask her. There is a woman who's a balat ov with Eindor. Now, this whole pasuk is strange, okay? And it kind of makes you wonder, because what exactly is going on here? Because <laughs> we just said, right? He got rid of all the ovojis and him. So he asked his servants, uh, I need a ballot over and say, oh, okay, he's one of Eindor. So... <laughs> What's happening there is like, you know, I, I, there's um, something wrong with this picture. In other words, if Shaul had made a, a statement that you get rid of all the 
the over and you don't know maybe the servant should have said well we don't know there aren't any we got rid of them but no no and they answer like very simply oh yeah an indoor this is a balato so there's something very strange here in other words you know this is one of those things that's more honored in the breach um how can we understand the whole in okay so first of all first of all um there's, there's a big machlokus on the whole the whole story and i'm just trying to decide if we should go through the story and then discuss it or discuss it and then do the story um yeah it's a, it's a difficult one all right let, let's just go here i have um some discussion on what they are here okay this is the safe which is um uh, it's shown and he listed off all of the mitzvot and this is very weird stuff just just a trigger warning okay what is an ov right they would make a katoa they make some incense and they would do some stuff right and the person would think he's hearing a, a voice and it is coming from the armpit Seriously, I didn't make this up. But the Sifra, the Medra says, this is a ventriloquist who has a voice coming out of his armpit. No joke. No joke. The roots of this mitzvah are, uh, what is the, the, the prohibition, right? We wrote about this when we talked about uh, the menachesh and the me'onim, all these other forms of sorcery. And because, kal elu ha'velim, all these hevel, all this uh, nonsense, and this is forbidden, according to the Chinach, because it takes a person away from the true belief and the true faith, and he thinks that Everything is sort of uh, a coincidence. And it could be in his hand to improve himself and to uh, prevent damage to himself by doing this stuff. Okay, so now we're talking about the general idea of magic. Um, and, um, oh, and by the way, I should have said at the beginning that we should have in mind the foolish lema for Chayafred Aliza Batso Etel um, having surgery now. And Procedure's over. It's over. Okay, that's good. And um, so, have a foolish lema. Anyway, these things that happen, we say like, oh, if we have this kind of thing, all these things that perhaps we might call them black magic, right? And the Yidoni is even weirder, right? The Yidoni takes, he takes a, he takes a bone of a bird that's called a Yedua, that's from the root of Yidoni, and he puts the bone in his mouth and he does kind of incense and he does kind of stuff, right? And he speaks and he sees the future. And that's, uh, 
that's the yid only. Really seriously strange stuff. The Chinuch says there's something idolatrous about this stuff. Right? Here we've got a whole list of punishments. If you're a shogeg, then you uh, then you have to bring a sacrifice. And if you're a mazid, then you have to um, you have to get malchus, you get lashes. And if you actually have a, a warning and uh, witnesses, then you could be uh, stoned to death or have courage. A lot of nice stuff there. Okay, now he talks about, he's quoting here a lot of different stuff. And here I have the whole discussion of this in the, in the encyclopedia, I would say Israel, how this works. And there's a whole machlokas here. So I'm going to give you the short version of the Machlokas because it's a lot. Basically, um, basically, there's two opinions. Either this stuff is usher because it exists or the stuff is usher because it doesn't exist. Okay? It's the same way that Torah says that you can't bow down to an idol. The Torah says you can't go and ask a necromancer to speak to the dead and you can't ask a sorcerer to you know put spells on people for you so there are two schools of thought basically and then there are more and it kind of branches out from there so try to give the um the discussion the way the way it was is like this the the gaonim the period of the gaonim which is like the 700s, 800s, 900s, before the Rishonim, they were rationalists and they did not believe that this stuff existed. Okay, and they were followed by the Rambam, who was the king of rationalists, and the Rambam said, yeah, it's all fake. Okay, when you take the position that this is all fake, then you have to deal with this story and say, everything here is a fake. And we could talk about how that might work. But the other position is taken by the Ramban. So this is a big machlokas between the Rambam and the Ramban. And that's the, the general machlokas, although there are studies, which I'll, I'll get into later. The general consensus, the Rambam is a rationalist. He says no such thing. It's a lot of hogwash. And <laughs> okay, and I don't believe in any of it. And it's all nonsense. You know, I do it because it's the, it's, uh, it's the oak. And the Ramban doesn't go there. The Ramban and all, of, not all, I would say, but most of the um, the medieval commentators follow the Ramban. They say, this is Asur. And there were such kohoratuma, there were powers of impurity. And this actually happens. How it happens, we'll get into, we'll talk about. And then that's their take on it. And that will be Ramban, Rashi. Okay, so there's basically this two schools of thought here, and there's um, variations which we'll, we'll go into as we go on with the story. But basically, what we have to learn from here, and that is here, we have a We have an idea, tamim you shall be tamim with God, right? 
and this is the all of these things. This is from Devarim. Do not learn to do the abominations of those nations. We don't want to find amongst you, Hashem says, a person who will um, put his children through the fire. Kosein kasamin, a magician. Maonein menachesh. Maonein from the from the uh, times, right? And menachesh is a person who's a guest. Mechashef is really doing magic. Chover chever, doing things with with uh, knots. Shoel over yidoni doreshel hametim. So you see that there's so many different types of black magic and sorcery. All of these things are abominations. The Torah says they are forbidden. They're forbidden like idolatry. And then the Ramban talks about this and says, don't learn to do those things. Right? And the Ramban says also, And that should be here. Be tamim, be wholesome, be pure. This is a mitzvah. It's a positive mitzvah, right? That Hashem is warning you not to have any of these magic things going on. And you shouldn't listen to all these sort of things. Aval, yigzorulipo, he should um, determine in his heart that everything is beyond Elyon Elyon, everything is in the hands of God, that he is Hashem, right? He is Kel Shakai. He can do a good thing if it was not in the mazal, uh, in the fortune that this person was supposed to have. And he brings evil when there is a good mazal, according to how the person behaves. Okay, this is what Hashem uh, tells us, and you know, embraces. Go out of your your mazel, Abraham and Sarah. You know, by their their mazel was not to have children, but Hashem tells them go out of that mazel because there is no the Jewish people are not bound by the laws of, you know, probabilities and fortunes. Okay, getting back to our story. So how, let's just ask ourselves a question. How can Shoal do this? Because we've just seen how many Yisraeli here. <laughs> this is like, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got problems. He's got issues. He's jealous of David. But like, you are now doing something that is like over many, many Yisraeli and we're supposed to be tamim and how do we do this? So there is um, a commentary called the Red Vaz who says the the excuse that Shoal has is that it's pikuach nefesh. It's pikuach nefesh because he's got a whole army to think about, people um, going out to war, and he has to know what to do, and he has no other answer. He has no other way. And then the Tziv talks about it. also. The Tziv in the Hamid Dover talks about it and says that these rules apply to individuals, but a person in a, in a king with communal responsibility, we might give him a hetzer for doing what he does. Um, the Barbadale can, you know, goes along with this to a certain extent, but he says really what Shaul needed to do, if he's not answered by God, 
is to do tshuva and to cry out to God and say, God, please answer me. Please, you know, have mercy on me. I'm doing tshuva. So that is really what he should have done. But anyway, he turns to what we would call the dark side. And he says, bring me, and there's a, there's a woman in Ain Dor. Who knew? He gets dressed up to, shouldn't look like a king. He wears different clothes. According to Chazal, this is Avner, who's commander-in-chief in Amasa, right? They come to the woman at night. Shaul says to her, um, make your charm and with the oath and bring me bring up the person I will tell you. Now, Lechora, right? I, I think that the vast majority of the commenters will say she actually had this power. And um, just let's take the story in that sense now, okay? She has the power to bring up the dead. But tell me, Shai Love, Pasitet, he may have told you that this is a show, a show, a Christian told you that you don't even know it. Lama Tamit Nakesh Nafshilamitani. You are now putting me. You are um, setting a trap for me. You know that Shaul get rid of all these these uh, types of sorcerers. You're going to trip me up and get me in trouble. Prosecuted by Shavala Shaul Bashem Lemor Chai Hashem in Mikarech Avon Badavar Hazeh, and Shaul swears to her in God's name. Think of the irony. <laughs> He's doing something that is totally anti-Torah, and he swears by God's name. Nothing's going to happen to you. And he, of course, knows that he himself is Shaul. Okay. So who do you want me to call up for you? Shmuel. And the woman sees Shmuel and she cries out in a great yell. And she turns to Shaul and says, you tricked me. You're Shaul. Okay, so here we have a very, very weird thing that's going on. He says, bring up Shmuel. And if we're following the story from the point of view of the Ramban and the other Rishonim, then she's actually succeeded in bringing up Shmuel. And something about it lets her in on the secret that this is Shaul. Okay, now if we're going to take the Rambam's point of view, that it's all Shtuyot. She's a tremendous baker. She knows all along that she's dealing with Shaul. Don't forget, he's taller than anybody else. So perhaps that's a clue. And she knows it's Shaul, and she makes a whole show. And there's really nothing happening. But she's got a partner, and she's or she's a ventriloquist. It's all, you know, smoke and mirrors. That's the, the Rambam's um, idea. But something about it, now the Medrash, the Medrash goes along with the idea that she's actually brought Shmuel up. And the Medrash says he came up head first, whereas most of the dead, when they bring them up, come up feet first. And because of the honor of the king and the honor of Shmuel, he comes up head first. And that gives her the clue. Meantime, he says, don't be afraid. What have you seen? So now we have a very strange thing. She sees this apparition, and Shaul doesn't. 
right? He says, what are you seeing? I saw a very lordly person coming up from the ground, like somebody, you know, uh, great. Okay. And he says, what does he look like? So everything that's happening in Yud Gimel and Yudalid is giving us the understanding that Shoal is not seeing this apparition. Only she sees the apparition. So the problem there is, okay, is, is she faking or not? So she says, He's a very old man and he's wearing a me'il. Now, the me'il is our clue. If you go back to the beginning of Shmuel, right? What did Hannah make for Shmuel every time she went up to the Mishkan and Shmuel? So Shmuel is identified by that me'il that his mother made for him. And he understood that it's Shmuel. And he bows down. And this is like the understanding that the Chazal have for this sort of encounter is that the person who is the Ov, the Balat Ov, sees the apparition, but doesn't hear anything. While the person who's asked for the, you know, the vision, that person doesn't see anything, but hears. So the conversation that Shaul has in a minute, uh, we'll get there, the conversation that Shaul has with Shmuel, with the ghost of Shmuel, that is something that she's not part of, which is like a whole strange situation. Now, the Radak has a whole bunch of different uh, um, discussions here. The Radak basically says, according to the Pshat, and according to the most we've shown him, this is an impure, unholy power that this woman has. And it's real. She's able to do this. The Geonim in the Geonic period, which is before we've shown him, have two schools of thought, okay? And they they um, they feed into the Rambam, who's the rationalist. They say, this is, um, I don't know, I, I really don't remember his name before, but his name is Shmuel Bar Chofni. And he says, it's all fake. It's all meaningless. She's just very clever. And she's got, like, she knows what's going on. She knows what's going on in the country. She knows that uh, Shoal is out of favor, that David is the up and coming king. She knows that there's a lot of trouble going on. And uh, and Shmuel is dead. And she knows that Shoal is under pressure. So she comes up with this whole elaborate thing. Okay. <clears throat> now, the the two more famous Gohonim, Rav Sadja Gohon and Rav Hai Gohon, they say, yes, she's a fake. The whole thing is a fake. However, HaKadosh Baruch Hu steps in. It's a very interesting theory. So there's a lot of different theories here. And the theory of Rav Chaigaon and Rav Sajagon is that Hakadosh Baruch who steps into this situation and says, "Right, I cannot have this, you know, uh, impure, this tame situation coming anywhere near the great Sadik Shmuel." But for reasons that Hakadosh Baruch who has, he wants Shaul to have this communication with Shmuel. So God actually brings the neshama of Shmuel back into his body for this encounter. In other words, it's coming from God, not from her. 
And that's why it's a very interesting thing, theory. Remember when she, right, it says, who shall I bring up for you? And he says, bring up Shmuel. And then she sees him and yells. So according to that theory, she didn't actually do anything. If she, he says, bring up Shmuel, and she sees him and she yells. And she yells because she's a faker. <laughs> and oh my gosh, there actually is Shmuel here. I didn't do it. So that's why she's shocked. You're 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 cheating me. You're fooling me. You're shallow, which I thought is a very interesting, um, a very interesting idea. However, again, there are um, there are many many theories here, and uh, I do want to say that the Rambam's theory is that it's all fake is challenged in the Shulchan Aruch by the Vilna Gaon, no less. The Vilna Gaon says, you know, like with all due respect to the Rambam, his philosophy has hit out, it's caused him to make a, a mistake here. I'm not, I, it's not me. The Vilna Gaon uh, is, is holic on the Rambam and says, you know, all over the Gemara are these stories of mazalim and nechashim and charms and different things. I recall a particular story that the daughter Rabbi Akiva was supposed to die on her wedding day. The fortune tellers told Rabbi Akiva she's going to die on her wedding day. And he said, like, you know, we're above mazal. And he gave a lot of stucker. She gave stucker that day. And at night, she took the head pin out of her um, head, out of her hair or her scarf or whatever, and she stuck it in the wall. And in the morning, when she pulled out the pin, along came a dead snake. So that's, and she had given stucca in the middle of her wedding. She'd given stucca to a poor person. She stopped the, the middle of the wedding to feed a poor person. And so the Chazal say, and Rabbi Kiva said, stucca tatsil mavit. But really, according to the Mazal, she was supposed to die that day. So the Vilna Gaon says, all over the Gemara is this stuff. So it's hard for him to agree with the Rambam. So there is some, some stuff. Or, this is for, uh, for Hannah, there are more things in heaven and earth, right, <laughs> that are dreamt of in your philosophy. But the truth of the matter is, um, um, Rabbi Yaakov kind of wants to help the Rambam out here a little bit. Maybe he says, you know, perhaps at the time of the Gemara, the Rambam would have agreed that there's these kohod tumah, but now he doesn't, he, you know, later on after the time of the Gemara, he doesn't believe in it. In any event, the conversation between Shmuel and Shaul, Pasik Tetva, Vayoma Shmuel el Shaul, Lama Hirgastani Lahalototi. So when you go through the story, um, it seems hard to say it's all a fake because the shot here would be that it's not a fake. The shot is this actually happened. So that's why, you know, this, my favorite theory is a theory that actually she was a fake and the Kaddish Baruch who stepped in and, and he made this happen. Of course, you could say that there is such a thing. But anyway, I'm now going to leave that discussion to you, however you want to take it. Why have you um, made me tremble to bring me up? So the Chazal say, why, why is he trembling? Because... When you're called up to the back to the world, right? He, he doesn't know what's happening. He thinks he's going to be judged again. And so he's frightened. When it, she says, Elohim, Olim, and Aretz, 
So the Medrash says that he brought Moshe with him. He said, I'm, I'm having a dinner here. I need a good Jewish lawyer. And Moshe, you come with me. <laughs> so she sees Terul and Moshe, which is a very interesting thought. And why are you bringing me up? Now, people say, well, well, how can he be judged? It's all over. He's gone. You know, this time has passed. But Rabbi Solange said that, um, that people can be judged by the actions that they've left behind, you know, their, their children, the people they've been interacted with, their, uh, and if something goes wrong, then they can actually be called back to judgment, which is a scary thought. So that's why we say, Haser Satan in any event, and Shol is just, he's just lost. I'm, I'm in great trouble. are fighting with me. God has gone away from me. He doesn't answer me. Also by prophets and also by dreams. I called you. Tell me what to do. Now, if you notice what's omitted in what he says, he says, God didn't answer me in dreams and in prophets. But if you recall, when that originally we told about that, like there are three things, right? Why doesn't he mention the Urim? Right, when he's talking to Shmuel, a beautiful medrash here that he is embarrassed because he sinned, right? He was embarrassed to mention it because he knew that he had sinned by killing the Kohenim. And Shmuel's answer is quite terrible. Why are you asking me? God has become your enemy. God has left you. It's like, you know, the, the tragedy of Shaul becomes very clear here because what he hopes to get from Shmuel, he can't get from Shmuel here. And this is a very, very strange story, but Shmuel is not going to give him any satisfaction. Right? God did to him, like he said, in my hand. And God did to him, in other words, to you, right? Or to your enemy, perhaps. That's what the, the Suda says, right? Just as I had said by my hand, God tore kingship from your hand and gave it to your, your friend, David. Now, previously, when Shmuel had said this to him, he said, You didn't say David's name, but, you know, there's nothing to be gained now by not saying it straight out. Because you didn't listen to the voice of Hashem, and you didn't do what God's uh, anger with a, a Amalek, and that's why this thing has happened to you today. And you hear, like, if you recall, you go through Shaul's career, what was the problem? And this is the, what they call in Hebrew, the Mila Mancha, 
the this is the theme word here. Listen, listen, listen. You didn't listen. Why don't you listen? And this is the very sad thing that Das Mikva goes into a whole parallel between what happened then and what happens now. Right? God left you. Right? You didn't think God left you. God left you. Right? He tore away the king. He gave it to David. Well, why didn't you just say, okay, I abdicate. Right? But you didn't listen. You didn't do what God wanted with Amalek. You didn't listen back when I told you to wait for me in Gilgal. Right? And the what Shmuel actually tells him in chapter 15 is Chatat Kesem Mary. Rebellion is like magic. And you see that he's now with the coastmen. You've gone to the dark side to get your answers because all of these things that happen. Remember when I told you these things. And all you could say is, oh, oh, Kabdani Nadja, don't, don't, you know, don't embarrass me now. And, uh, God will, this is a future text. God will give also Israel with you in the hands of the Philistines. Tomorrow, you and your sons are with me. Also, the camp of Israel, God is given over to the hands of the Philistines. So, this is like a tremendous blow because Shmuel doesn't, you know, he doesn't mince any words. I mean, he's he's already gone. There's nothing that Shoal can do to him, right? And he tells him straight in his face, you, you really messed up. God left you. You didn't listen. And you can't come to me now and, and tell me, you know, I should tell you something else. You didn't listen. Now you want to listen to me. Now you're looking... Well, you know, now you come to, to hear what I have to say. Every time I told you something, you didn't listen to me. And now you're coming to me. And you know what's going to happen? And this is, the Chazal say, this is like the only person, the only prophet who prophesizes after he's dead. Right? If you back in, um, I have it for you. Right? Uh, no. Right here. In chapter three, he never and nothing he said ever fell to the ground. And the Medrash says, even after he was underground, everything he said is going to come true. So now Shaul is in a pickle, okay? Because he has been told tomorrow you're going to go out to war, and you and your sons are all going to get killed, which is horrific. And Shaul is completely overcome. We don't hear again from the from the, the, uh, the ghost of Shmuel. And the woman hasn't been part of the conversation at all. Now his entire height, he falls on the ground, flat. And he's terrified from the words of Shmuel. But we had no strength in him. I didn't eat anything all day and all night. Why not? It could be that he was fasting. It could be that he just didn't have an opportunity. But he, um, likelihood is that he was fasting because he's trying to, you know, do his tshuva, get closer to Hashem. 
The woman comes and she sees that he's terrified. And she doesn't know what happened, okay? If we're going to take this at face value, he did see an apparition. She did bring him up. And she doesn't know what he said. And she sees that he's just horrified and, and terrified. But Listen, your maid servant, listen to your voice. I risked my life. I listened to what you said. Now you listen to your maidservant. I'll put some bread before you. You'll have some strength to go on the way. This is just an incredible ending to an unbelievable story. This woman who we think of as evil, like she's like a witch. She's a Jewish mother. You can't go before you eat something. Look at you. You're a mess. You're fainting. Right? He refused. No, no, I can't eat. And this is Amasa and Abner, and they, they pressure him. And they pressure him. They say, no, you know, you have to eat. And he got up from the ground and he sat down on the couch. And the woman had a fat calf in the house. She ran. She took her lamb, her fat lamb. She killed it for him. She made him meat. And she took um, flour and she made fresh matzah. Who does this remind you of? Oh my goodness. It's the it's the reversal of, of everything. Like it's so strange because this is exactly what the Mishnah says. And And the example of that is Avram Avinu. Avram says, sit down, give me a little bread. And he goes off and he makes a four-course meal. And that's what this woman is doing, who we're thinking of as a wicked woman and a witch. But she's doing the Afraham thing, which is, it's just to remember that in spite of her her sins, she's got that Jewish midah of chesed, and she's not going to let him go without a proper meal. And really, it's it's kind of sad. It's his last supper, but I just, I just kind of, I'm just amazed that like even this witch is like a Jewish mother. You can't go without eating. You have to eat first. And she runs up and makes him a whole suda. It's quite startling. And she uh, served it for uh, Shaul and his servants. They went off on that night. A weird end to a weird story and a weird end. There is a message that I couldn't find to give you, but I really have to read it to you because it's just unbelievable. Um, this is from Rabba. I didn't find it. I would show you the text, but just trust me. Uh, he was very scared of the words of Shmuel. Avner Amasa said, what did Shmuel tell you? They know that he's gone to Balat's Ov. Right, and they, um, I think the mentor says that it was Avner's mother, which is like weird. Oh, I have to know who which is, you know, does she know because she's my mom? 
But anyway, she does have that meter chesed. And they say, what happened? Now, if you go back to the ending of what Shmuel said, right? He said, tomorrow you and your sons are with me. So the pushup shot of that is, you know, you're going to die in this battle, you and your sons, Lorelainu. And they ask him. And now we see that Shaul has a choice. Because Shaul could really leave. He could just, you know, okay, uh, let's cool off this battle right now because it doesn't seem like a good idea. And he could just, you know, go off with his children. On the other hand, right, he's the king, right? And he's the king. And his, he's being told by the Navi, this is what you your fate is going to be. Omar lahem. Amal il-machar at-nechit le-karava you're going out to war and you will win. Not only that, but your sons are going to be um, appointed uh, great people or leaders or generals or whatever it is. He took his three sons and he went out to war. It's so tragic, like, because the Medrash is saying he did not want to bring down anyone's morale. He's the only one who knows that the end of the war is going to be so bad. And he tells his generals, it's all good. We're going to go out to war, it's all good. And he brings his sons to the war, knowing what he knows. And the Medrash goes on. Kashbar who called the angels and said, Come and see this person that I created in my world. It's a thing that a guy can go to a party and not want to take his three children with him because it might be an ayin hara. Is that this one? This one goes out to war and he knows that he's going to be killed and he takes his sons with him and he is uh, happy that he's going to get the Midas Hadin, that he's going to get this punishment. So the full um, the full Talmudic discussion would have been just one more second. With the help of Hashem, we are learning brachas dafyun. Okay, the brachas here. Okay. Okay, the comment here is that a person who commits an act of transgression is ashamed of it. His transgressions are forgiven. Okay. How do we know this? Goes through the whole thing. Right? He said, Hashem He didn't say. The Unbetumen doesn't answer. Mishum. 
the cattle were nowhere because he had killed the city of Kohen. Shenemar, right? How do we know? How do we know that he was forgiven? Shenemar. Right? Rabbi Yochanan said, you were with me in Gan Eden. In other words, the fact that he was embarrassed by his sin, the fact that he couldn't own that up, he couldn't talk about it to Shmuel, right? And the fact that he goes out to war knowing what his fate will be, right? This is going to all be the kapara for Shaul for all his sins. And when Shmuel says, you will be with me, you will be with me in Gan Eden. So Shaul, after all this, will be Bezrat Hashem forgiven and given kapara. Okay, end of a very dramatic and tragic story. Okay, so I'm going to stop the screen share. All right, if anyone has any questions, comments, thoughts. Hi, I have a question. You kept saying like this evil witch woman. I'm not that I'm saying that what she did was okay, but like what made her evil? I'm saying like voodoo, witchcraft, you know, seeing things in bones, like that's always been a thing. These people are, I mean, it is but those things do exist. Otherwise, you know, you have the Khartoumim in Mitzrayim that did all of their, you know, imitations of the Makos and some of them actually were, you know, like actually happened. Clearly there is some kind of something there. I'm not saying that it's, you know, we're not allowed to do that, but that's also the reason why we have this Isser in the Torah. If it wasn't an actual thing, then there wouldn't be an Isser for it. So I'm saying like, yes, it's not allowed to be done, but what makes her evil? I'm saying that she, you see, that's that's the interesting part of the end of this parak, is that she's not evil. She actually happens to be a, a balat chesed, and you know, and her midah is compared. You cannot escape the comparison to Abram. On the other hand, she makes her living by doing something that's awesome in the Torah. So she's she's sinner. Sinner would be a better term than evil. But it's just so unexpected for a person that you think of as, okay, she is actually in a profession that is sinful, and all of a sudden she turns out to be a big ball of chesed compared, you know, subtly compared to Abba Mabino. It's quite astounding. But she's not evil. But, but if you... Right, but if you said that that most that she was startled by the fact that she actually managed to bring Shmuel up because she knows she's a fraud and she's usually a fraud, maybe in her mind she's doing it for the money. She knows she's not really doing anything, and yeah, it's like you go to a circus and somebody reads your palm or tells you your future. Um, it maybe it's, it's. I mean, you're paying money and you know it's a ridiculous thing. The two theories here: either she's either she's doing it and she has control over Kohara Tuma, or she's a faker, and this whole thing that it worked was a surprise for her. No, so I, I think either way. We, okay. Like I, you know, I can't even, like, go there. This, it's such an interesting story. Like, do we go this way? Do we go that way? There definitely seemed to be a lesson for us to learn that there's a lot of mysteries in the world, a lot of strange things out there. We don't know. Right. But, but also, at the end, when... um. You know, when Shoal goes and he said, like, you know, he knew he was going to die and all that, like, 
you were saying it in a positive way. And this is my other question. Like, why is that positive? Like, why did he drag his sons with him? Why didn't he tell them, you know, I'm not hearing great things. I would like you to go home and save yourselves. I have to go to war, um, but I don't want you to get killed. I, I don't know. Like, like he has to atone for his sins. Why is he like, I don't get that. Like, why, why is that so great? He's dragging his kids. Like, I, I don't see that as a positive thing. I'm sorry. I don't get it. I hear that's an interesting question. The point that the, the Medrash is making is that he's masticadin. That he is accepting the judgment. By the way, the Chazal do say that because the people also took from the from the Amalek, that's why they get punished with this war. The people. As for Shaul's sons. I mean, each one might have their own separate situation. Why does he take them along? It's it's very uh, strange story. Yep. Very strange. Logic. But Shmuel has told him what's going to happen. So his choice would be to try to run away from that, which would be sort of going against God. Because Shmuel is a prophet. And right. It's all true. So if he tries to run away, then he's not accepting God's judgment. And the God's judgment is also on his children, and it's also on the Jewish people. Okay, I, I hear that. I'm a cabo. Okay, I hear it. So that's that's the tragedy of Shoal is that this, when Shmuel tells him this, this is Makabo. Everything else Shmuel told him he wasn't Makabo. He kept arguing with him, he kept arguing with him. No, right. No, 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 I didn't do that. I really didn't do that. I really didn't do that. It wasn't like that. And here, the, he doesn't even try to answer Shmuel. He just kind of faints. It's a sad story. Weird. Very sad. Yeah. Very tragic figure. All right. We're heading for the end of Shmuel Aleph. We have only a couple of Prakim to go. Okay. Yes. We should hear good things and good news. And... I mean, thank you. Okay. All right, then. Okie doke. Lila Toe. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbit Sharon. Thank you. That was a very comprehensive coverage of a very strange story, but I think you spread everything out in front of us and made it even stranger in a certain sense, but at least I saw all the parts that. It's, that, such a weird story. it's, like, it's weird. I know I go back and forth from saying, oh, she was a faker to saying, oh, yeah, it's really happened. I, you know, and I look at this, this part shot and that part shot, and I'm like, hmm. I don't I don't know. There's so many, like, um, when I was in New Orleans, you know, you go, you walk through the streets there, and there's so much voodoo, 
they, these Buddhist people really believe in it. And then there's a whole theory that people um, that do these kinds of things want to offer people comfort. It's not always done like to gain power or something. It's like, you know, somebody died before their time or whatever. You know, you 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 call the relatives so they can say goodbye or all kinds of things like that. Like, I don't think, right. So I don't think it's always malicious, but you're right in the sense that if she was Jewish, she did something she wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. Anyway, it's really weird. Whole thing is weird. That's why, that's why I, I talked about the Ramban. The Ramban says you're yeah. supposed to hold your belief in a Kaddish Baruch Hu and not in right, right things that are not like you know it just takes you away. All that stuff takes you away from following God. Because you say okay, right, but the same way we like to read fantasy and Harry Potter, it's like maybe a distraction sometimes. Not like a belief. Like we don't actually believe there are witches and wizards, but it's nice to to escape to that world a little. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when there's so much ugly in our world, you know? <sighs> anyway. Sure. That's why yeah. humor. Like, you know, there's some people yeah. like watch something that's like sad. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do sad. I want to be funny. Funny, take your. Well, I mean, distractions of distraction, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, Mom. That was weird and cool. Thanks. And cool. Okay. All right. And sad. I mean, obviously sad. Like, Shaul Amalek, you know, we, at the end, you kind of forget, like, that he was still chosen and he was like, you know, the first king. And it's really sad. Right. It's okay. tragic. The Medrash is trying to show that in a certain sense, it's like he's redeeming himself by like. He came full circle. By, he accepted. By, by accepting what Shmuel tells him this time. He's really redeeming himself in a way. So that I think is a positive development to think that, you know, mm -hmm. right. Tomorrow you'll be with me, you'll be in Ganeden. So that's, that was a rough day for Shola. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Day. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Mom. Right, so Good night. Bye. Bye.